How important is return on training investment to your clients? Do your clients ask you for proof that your training works? How do you evaluate your training programs? As a training business professional, particularly if you have completed a train-the-trainer or if members of your training faculty have completed a train-the-trainer program, you or they or both more than likely have heard of Don Kirkpatrick's four-level training evaluation model. It was one of the very first things I learned when I completed my Train the Trainer program with Disney many years ago. So on that basis, it's a huge privilege to have Wendy Kirkpatrick, founder and president of Kirkpatrick Partners, on the show today. This is episode 50 of the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. It's wonderful to know you're listening today. And welcome to the TrainingBusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett Hayes. Hi, and welcome to the show. My name is Mark Garrett Hayes, and this is the podcast for you, for training business professionals all around the world, helping you to start to grow and to scale your training business. Uh, As I said before the music, today's guest is none other than Wendy Kirkpatrick, who is founder and president of Kirkpatrick Partners. And if you've heard of the Kirkpatrick learning model or the evaluation model, uh, Don Kirkpatrick's eponymous Kirkpatrick model, as a training professional, you know how important this episode is because this model is the model which I would say every training professional I've come across has at least heard of, if not understands, because it helps training professionals, training business owners like you and I to evaluate the success of our training programs. So Wendy's joining us live from Georgia in the United States this morning. Let's say hi to Wendy. Hi, Wendy, and welcome to the program. Well, hi, Mark. Thank you so much. So let's get right down to business. And the first question that pops into my mind in having you on the program this evening is Don Kirkpatrick himself. Just who was Don Kirkpatrick and what did he give the world back in the 1950s? Well, the late Dr. Don Kirkpatrick was actually a university professor at the University of Wisconsin, and he came upon the four levels just very practically, and that's probably why they're still around today. He was teaching leadership development and management development programs as outreach for the university to the community, and as the subject of his PhD dissertation, he just very honestly wanted to know is my leadership and management training working? So he came up with a simple model to evaluate the effectiveness. He incorporated it into his PhD, and the rest, as they say, is history. It certainly is. And today, there are multiple training evaluation models in use. Uh, Quite a few people listening to this will have heard of Kaufman's model of learning, Brinkerhoff's success case model, Anderson's uh, value of learning model, yet almost every single training professional who's been through a train-the-trainer program, as I have, um, is familiar with the Kirkpatrick model. Why has it endured for 50 years? Well, 
who really knows? But my best guess is that the four levels are so elegant in their simplicity. They're practical, they're easy to use, and because they're so simple, they actually adapt to any type of training. So because of all of those practical reasons, I think that's why they endure. Okay, so let's walk through those for the sake of our listeners. There, there, there might be a few people who have not yet encountered uh, the Kirkpatrick model. So for the benefit of them, and as a refresher to others, let's walk through those four levels of the original model. Yeah, Absolutely. Level one is called reaction, and it's just like what it sounds. It's the degree to which people react favorably to the training program, and also if they find it engaging and if the content is relevant to the work that they do. Because, hey, let's face it, it doesn't matter how enjoyable the training is. If it doesn't apply to the work we do, it's really not time well spent. Okay, so reaction would would be something like where someone, you know, has an immediate emotional response post-training and maybe fills in a happy sheet or evaluation uh, form. Yeah, absolutely. That's part of it. Just was the environment such that it was easy for them to learn? Was it positive? And were all the pieces in place so that they could have a good learning experience? Okay, so that's level one. And then um, the next level two is, I guess, learning. Yeah, that's right. And once again, the names are pretty intuitive. This is the degree to which that training participant gets the knowledge, the skills, the attitude, and then the confidence and the commitment to do those things when they get back to the job. Okay. Um, so how would p- people typically expect to to measure learning as, a, as an essential uh, building block in, in evaluating whether something's actually been successful as a learning program? Well, there's really a broad spectrum of ways to do that, Mark. Um, at the most basic level, obviously, any quiz, test, or knowledge check is a way that you can make sure that people have gotten the knowledge that they need or test their skills. But what we really say is any sort of interaction, activity, exercise that you do during training could be used as an evaluation of learning. So they, they could be things that reinforce or test that transfer of knowledge to someone. Exactly. Think about if, if you are in a classroom situation, maybe you're having a discussion in your table group about a concept you just learned. Your ability to participate meaningfully in that discussion is going to show if you're understanding the material. Okay. So moving up now to level three, behavior, uh, what's that all about? Well, this is where we cross what some people call the great divide. This is where we get out of the training world and into the real world of work. So this is the degree to which the people who went to training actually do what they're supposed to do, use that knowledge and skill on the job in their actual work. Okay, so if I'm thinking of this uh, with my former learning and development manager hat on, I'm thinking um, someone's enjoyed the training, that's level one, um, there's been some kind of test to confirm they've actually acquired some skills, some knowledge, but now I want to see does that actually pay off in their work environment, that's level three, behavior. Exactly. Um Probably the reason underpinning all training that people get sent to training is that we think that they're going to use that knowledge or that new skill that they've received and do something differently on the job or maybe just do something they haven't done before. And 
The challenge, unfortunately, with this overall assumption is often when people go to training, it's not entirely obvious what we want them to do when they get back on the job. So it is really important to make that connection in training that when I'm teaching you something like, for example, leadership skills, such a popular one, you need to be able to take something out of what you've taught and say, as a result of this conflict resolution model you've just learned, what we're expecting is if you see a conflict in your work team that you implement the model. That would just be a simple example of what we're looking for when we say the level three behavior needs to happen. Yeah, that makes sense because I think that um, very often people send people on a course. Let's say a manager has uh, some delegates, some members of his team or her team, and wants to send them on a course. But often they're not quite clear um, in terms of communicating with the training provider how that uh, materializes in terms of a benefit back in the workplace. So someone goes away, has a great time, comes back with some positive uh, feedback and has some kind of skills, but it doesn't yet translate into, let's say, return on investment, which of course brings us nicely to, to level four, which is results. Exactly. So if people learn something in training and they successfully apply it in their work, at level three, then what we're looking for is level four results, the degree to which targeted outcomes actually occur, not just because of the training, but also because of the support that they receive when they're back on the job and the fact that they're held accountable. And that's a great point, Wendy, um, that managers need to, I find, be involved at some level in either the conceptualizing of the training or ideally they've been through the training and then they're able to understand you know, what those benefits look like. If they don't understand what their teams have been through, it's very hard for them to be able to say, now I know how to embed this and sustain that learning. Exactly. And what you bring up is one of the biggest challenges that we hear from training professionals around the world. How do I get those managers involved in this process so that together we can make sure this actually produces value? Is, is that an easy thing to do? I mean, it's a difficult thing to do, as you said, but let me rephrase that. Could there be an easier way to do this to convince managers to actually uh, get involved and to take ownership of that and just not leave it to training professionals? Well, this is the biggest challenge around, as I've said. I don't think it's because it's ever so difficult. I think what it is, is we are all just plain too busy and you need to find that key manager who you can get their attention for a moment and have a conversation with them to show that you are going to help to create value, that training isn't a perk, which unfortunately some people in some organizations position it that way, um, that it's actually important work time spent developing and honing skills that are directly relevant to the job that when employed are going to produce results. So I think the key is to find a manager who is open to having that conversation with you and doing a pilot or at least finding one program where you can show that the system works. And from there, then I think that conversation becomes much easier because people have a picture of what that value can look like. And I read uh, with great interest uh, the preface recently, again, the preface to your book, uh, Kirkpatrick's Four Levels of Training Evaluation. And I, I couldn't agree with you more, the fact that many, many times training or, shall we say, learning and development often is the first to suffer if an organization decides to pull back uh, budgetarily. And uh, learning and development programs tend to be the first victim to that. Um, so in your book, you, you suggest that, that failure to make a strong business case for training has left training in a precarious position 
Uh, and that's my quote from your book. What is the business case then for training evaluation? Because that's crucial to people listening to this program. To me, I find myself speaking in these terms so often, I hope I'm not being repetitious, but it really is just putting things to the four levels that if we suggest that training is a good idea and a good use of our time, money, and resources, we should be able to to define the level four result that we are targeting. If it's a leadership development program, maybe what we're looking for is that we are getting sales or profitability more quickly out of a new product line that's managed by a work team. So then if we back it up to level three, we would say, okay, so what do those leaders actually need to be doing to bring those products to fruition profitably and quickly? Let's define some what we call critical behaviors that would describe specifically what are they doing and how are they working with their teams to accomplish that. And then that makes the basis of what they need to learn in training. Those critical behaviors, you just change a few words and you get your learning objectives. This is what they need to be practicing in that training program. So then when you look at the training program as practice for the very most important things you need to do on the job, and those things are directly connected to your business results, there's your business case for the training. Yeah. And and it's, it sounds, it's quite succinct. It sounds quite doable. But yet, uh, in my experience, many of the training professionals that I've uh, dealt with over the years, I won't say they run scared from from training evaluation, but in a way, it's the kind of pointy end, isn't it? Because people think, you know what, I'm just going to design the program, deliver the program, and then th- that's me done. I'm wondering why is the idea of evaluating training programs often so intimidating to training business professionals? Well, I think we can point first to the way the industry has interpreted and utilized the four levels as it relates to training. Um, When Don Kirkpatrick conceptualized these four words, reaction, learning, behavior, and results back in the 1950s, he did not number them, and he did not put them in order, and he did not call it a model. Um, Yeah, somehow, though, it became interpreted that way. So I think people are very much under the impression that you start with reaction, and then you go to learning, and then guess what? Everybody runs out of time, money, and resources, and someone else is supposed to take care of behavior and results. Sadly, with that approach, we're spending our time, money, and resources on the two levels that are actually spending money instead of making money for an organization. And so, really, I think the intimidation comes from the fact that levels three and four are often out of our control and sometimes even almost out of our influence. So it gets a little scary. But when we flip the model around, that changes everything. When we concern ourselves first with what is the result we're trying to accomplish, and then what specifically do people need to be doing to accomplish that result, that puts us back in control of the most important part of the levels, which is improving performance and contributing to organizational results. So I think that takes away some of that intimidation factor. But there is still the real issue that, you know, as training professionals, we are not always side by side with our training graduates on the job. So I think then there are just some logistical issues for how do we stay in touch with these people and support them. And so in effect, um, although they are numbered level one, two, three, and four, what you're saying in effect is, is start with the end in mind is focus on the results, work back to behavior that we'd like to see in the workplace. What would the learning then be to actually enable this? And, well, I won't say unimportant, but reaction, of course, is the emotive response uh, in the actual training intervention itself. Would that be, is that, 
<laughs> fair to say. What have I mucked that one up? Couldn't have said it better myself. Okay. I, I bet you could, actually. Um, so thinking of, of intimidation again, we'll not focus on this in a negative way, but I can definitely tell you that I've been in this situation where I'm thinking, how can I really um, convince others of the merit of taking their people away from the job they're paid to do day in, day out, and give them to me as a training professional or to my team? Um, and rely upon me to be able to upskill them to the extent that those uh, promises which are, are, are made can actually be kept. So if we think of you know some common pitfalls to be avoided in, in training evaluation to help the listeners out there, uh, what, what comes to mind? Well, I think as we've been discussing, this thought that you start with training first and then maybe think about performance and results later, I think is the biggest pitfall. So doing what you were mentioning, starting with the end in mind is how you're going to avoid that. Instead of having a conversation with the business about training, what I'd like to see is for training professionals to have a conversation with the business about the business. Talk to them about what are the key results that you need to accomplish this month, this quarter, this year? What are your most important outcomes that you're responsible for? And then turn it to, so what are your pain points in accomplishing those results? And start to get into dialogue about what's happening on the job or what isn't happening on the job in terms of performance to accomplish those results. So we're right back to level four and three again. When you have that kind of conversation, that gets you out of that backward cycle of instead of pushing training, what you're now doing is actually doing performance consulting and partnering with the business to help them to accomplish the results they're looking for. Yeah, I can't help thinking that some people might, you know, be uncomfortable doing that because um, it almost sounds like I'm potentially talking myself out of a training program. If I have a conversation with you and I discover as a training provider that I can't actually meet those objectives that you need. And furthermore, I'm thinking that sometimes training professionals, I'm thinking of myself in past experience, are perhaps reluctant to have this conversation because maybe we don't know which questions to ask to clarify whether this is the right intervention or what needs to be done to make it the right intervention. Does, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. It totally makes sense, Mark. And I think this is one of those things where um, people in training are genuinely passionate about training in many cases. And my recommendation to them is get trained in business acumen and become comfortable having these conversations surrounding what your business or the businesses you support really do. Um, I think that is critical for the long-term success of any training professional because let's be honest, if you design, develop, and deliver training content alone, disconnected from the business or the core function of your organization, anyone can step in and do that. Yeah, you're replaceable, aren't you? There's no, there's no barrier to entry for your competition. Exactly. So ultimately, the, the key point here is that uh, it's not just enough to know your training material and deliver that. You also have to be able to convince the person with the purse strings, the person who's got the power to say yes to your training business, that you have done some kind of job in understanding their world. You know the kinds of challenges they have, you know the kinds of goals they have, and therefore it's not just a case of choosing you to deliver the, the training, but you are actually a trusted advisor. And so there's more to the just delivering training. You're actually someone who's taken the trouble 
to understand their world from their perspective. And then you're, you're much more than just a, a commodity in terms of, of training business. You're actually someone who understands their business and has their best interests at heart. So I'm thinking again of, of the influence that, that the Kirkpatrick models had on me over the years, because the very first time I did a train the trainer program, Wendy, was, was way back in the, in the 90s, giving my age away here. And that was when working with, with Disney. Um, so over the years, again and again, I've encountered people who have been yet yeah, delighted and, and lucky enough to have been influenced by the work of, of Don, who passed away in 2014, unfortunately. Um, so since 2008, both you and your business partner, Jim, have successfully continued his legacy through Kirkpatrick Partners. What does Kirkpatrick Partners uh, do Think of it this way. Whom does Kirkpatrick Partners serve and what do you offer your clients? Well, we work with training professionals around the world. And what's neat is the Kirkpatrick model works for any type of training. So we work with people in corporate, government, military, not-for-profit, really any sector. Um, It's sector agnostic because the model is so flexible. And then all around the world as well. You know, the people are the same everywhere. And um, in types of, terms of the type of people who actually would show up in our programs and learn how to implement the model, you might get instructional designers, training managers, directors, chief learning officers. And I'm excited increasingly that the people who are actually designing the training are showing up in greater numbers because they're the ones getting out ahead of this and beginning with the end in mind. Okay. So what do the Kirkpatrick foundational principles, which, which I came across on your website, what do those bring to the training business? Well, very much like what we've been talking about since really the first one is talking about begin with the end in mind and this idea that if we start with the end, there's such a better chance that we're going to hit our target. And then they get into, so how do you do that? Well, for us to begin with the end in mind, we need to create relationships with the people we serve with our training, which really is having dialogue and conversation and building that relationship. So that's when we can build what we call return on expectations. And return on expectations has been a very misunderstood term. So this is actually probably a great opportunity to clarify that. Return on expectations is the degree to which we meet the expectations of the people who we serve with our training or who request the training. So what some people misunderstood this to mean is any old thing a stakeholder asks for, we should deliver. And honestly, what we meant is quite the opposite of that. Often you need to have a conversation with your stakeholder to drill down to what they're really looking to accomplish and how training can support that. So what we mean by return on expectations is the degree to which we have helped that business partner to meet their expectations. So the business goals that they need to reach, the metrics that they're supposed to be hitting, and the performance that they need from their team. Okay, okay. Uh, I also read on the site, um, because I know one, I know someone whom I've interviewed previously, um, it, as a Kirkpatrick certified professional. So w- what is the advantage 
of someone listening to this in becoming a Kirkpatrick certified professional and what is involved in that program? Sure. Any training professional can become a Kirkpatrick certified professional by finishing the bronze level certification. So that's a two-day in-person course or a five-part live online course. And after that, what really makes it a certification is you work in a team to create a full four levels evaluation plan for a real program. So you're really putting pencil to paper and figuring out what is the end we're trying to accomplish and how are we going to know if we accomplished it. So you set up the metrics that you're going to be evaluating and you design those critical behaviors and a package of what we call required drivers, the processes and systems that help to support people in doing that sort of performance on the job and holding them accountable for it. And then, of course, you put together your learning objectives and how you're going to make sure that people learn what they're supposed to learn. And, of course, you double-check that people were happy with the program at level one. So they create a plan like that, and it gets submitted for comments and grading. And people only get certified if they have a plan that we really feel is workable in real life. And once you complete that certification and become a certified professional, then you can use those principles in your own work and hopefully then use that as a guiding framework for all of the important training programs that you design, develop, and deliver. So that's a bronze. And then naturally, there, there's a, I would imagine there's a silver and a gold. So what's involved there and how does someone, uh, how is someone eligible to undertake those? Sure. Bronze level graduates are eligible to move to silver. And silver, honestly, is us actually walking that talk where we say the very most important level is level three, where you're actually doing what you learned when you get back to your job. So if you're a training professional who has just created a bronze level plan to evaluate a program, the silver level is that support package to help you through actually implementing your program and evaluating it along the way. So at the silver level, We have tools to help you to gather data, analyze it, draw conclusions, make modifications to your plan, and then be able to report on both progress as well as results at the end. And then the goal level, uh, up again, another level. Yeah. So to finish up the silver level, you need to be able to show that your program has actually done some work towards the metrics that you have at level four. You don't necessarily have to accomplish your entire true top of the mountain level four, but we need to see meaningful metrics that you did that. So once you've done that and completed your silver level certification, what we really want you to do is share that with everyone. Share that, number one, real live people around the world are doing this every day since some people seem to think it's impossible to get to levels three and four. And also to share best practices and encouragement and assistance for others. So the gold level certification is actually free of charge because we want every single person who finishes up the silver level to share their stories with others and let them know this can be done. So there's a real community there behind Kirkpatrick Partners. There is, yeah. And that is probably the most fantastic part. We have so many people who have subscribed to our free community of resources. We chat with people every day on LinkedIn. People call us and email us. And our certified group is actually just a more exclusive group of those kinds of people who actually make their own cohorts and keep in touch with each other on a regular basis to share ideas. Right. So so basically... um you have probably far exceeded uh, the the concept that uh, Don is credited with uh, all those years ago. And, and in fact, he said, 
I think in uh, in writing that uh, you and your business partner Jim had taken his work to depths he had never dreamed of um, in further enhancing his work through the New World Kirkpatrick model. What exactly differentiates the New World Kirkpatrick model from the original Kirkpatrick model? Well, first, I'll say that Don was, I think, incredibly kind and generous in saying that because what Jim and I really believe is that Don had the concepts right first. The four simple words really encompass everything training professionals need to do to create and demonstrate value of their training. But over time, since basically he published a dissertation and four little articles back in the 1950s and 60s. And the model grew organically from then. So people made a lot of assumptions and, um, you know, assumed things into the model and out of the model. So what we really did with the New World Kirkpatrick model, we felt, is set the record straight for a little more comprehensively with just a few more words, what is included at each of the levels. And that's why we really believe the four levels are sufficient to accomplish a total story of training value. Wow. So in summary, um, it's been wonderful having you on the program uh, this morning. Wendy, um, I'd like to extend to our listeners some information that you have about the Kirkpatrick community and and where people can find out more about you, because obviously I'll provide some links to your resources in the show notes to this episode. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Mark. Well, I invite all of your listeners to join us at kirkpatrickpartners.com. On the homepage, you'll see a box where you can register for our community. It's totally free, and it will give you instant access to our online resources library. That contains over 100 free items, so you can read white papers and articles by us and others who have implemented the model, and you can access other recordings just like this podcast as well as webinars, and there are also some diagrams and tools there for you to download. And you know what? We just want people to keep the training industry alive. It serves an important purpose, and this is our way of helping to support it. And they can contact you at information at kirkpatrickpartners.com. Definitely. We answer each and every email and each and every phone call, and we'd love to chat with you. Okay, wonderful. Well, listen, Wendy, um, I won't take up much more of your time. It's been wonderful talking to you this morning, and it's very kind of you to give us all the information you've given us about a very, very critical part of of the training business, which is being able to confidently stand over your training material and be able to evaluate it and link it back to genuine, tangible uh, business metrics, which prove that it's giving return on investment or return on expectations. Thank you so much for your time, Wendy. Thank you as well, Mark. Thanks to Wendy for coming on the show this morning and to Tammy Yates, Program Administrator at Kirkpatrick Partners, for her assistance in making today's interview with Wendy possible. And thanks to you, our listeners, for once again taking the time out of your week to listen to this show, this episode of the show here on trainingbusiness.com. You can, as Wendy invited you to do so, visit kirkpatrickpartners.com and register for access to the online source library with over 100 free items, including white papers, articles, diagrams, tools, and recorded webinars and podcasts such as this one. And you can contact Wendy and the team via information at kirkpatrickpartners.com, and I'll provide the link and addresses mentioned in this episode in the show notes to this episode. 
and Wendy and her team will of course be happy to answer your questions. Make sure you subscribe to the show. I say this every week, it's worthwhile reminding you again, because this helps us to really get the numbers up and of course to invite the kinds of guests on the show who can help you with your training business. Would you mind awfully leaving a rating on Apple Podcasts because this helps us to promote the show to other guests and of course to your peers out there in the training business community. You can check out the podcast every single week on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher and on Spotify and of course on our website www.trainingbusiness.com. Next week, next Thursday, we of course have another episode but you'll just have to tune in then so you can find out what that is. Until then, keep hustling and have a great training business week. Bye for now. Thanks once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.